Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. We're going to look at a text today that we sang about in our first song this morning. There's a line in our first Advent hymn, and we're singing Advent songs during Advent about the day spring from on high. And you think, what is that? Or the dawn from on high. This is a prophecy from Zechariah. John the Baptist's dad gave this prophecy about Jesus, that he's the dawn from on high, and that he's God's innermost mercy, and we're going to look into that this morning. And we're going to talk about our desires during this time of year. What are desires? Where do they come from? How do we nurture them? Um, Where are they located? And that's the most surprising thing that we're going to talk about, that where our desires are actually located. So desiring the best for Advent. Week one, just simply Advent desires. Nika is going to be doing a homily next week on this same story, but from the viewpoint of Elizabeth, I'm just going to be springboarding off of some of the words from Zechariah and then some of the words from Jesus later on in Matthew chapter 9. So Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 80, and then Matthew chapter one, uh, Matthew 9. This is Luke 1, verses 76 to 80. And these are the words of Zechariah when he could begin to speak again as he's talking about his son to be born, and that son is John the Baptist. This is the Holy Scripture. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and he followed him. And while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. Now Jesus quoting from the prophet Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds together be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Well, it's first week of Advent. We had Black Friday this past Friday, and apparently everyone went shopping. I don't know if you read the report, but uh, this was a record in the U.S. in terms of money spent on Black Friday. Are you all aware of that? 
$5 billion. So people are now in the, uh, I guess, the spirit of shopping for people that they care about. And people are open about sharing what they want for Christmas. I was with some of your kids just now and asked them, what do they want? Have you thought about what they want for Christmas? And they think about it. Um, have you adults thought about what you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Do you know what you want? Most of us say, well, I'm okay. Uh, maybe I want a new ankle. My ankle's not so good, but uh, maybe, but we, or I want, you know, oh, I'm okay. We don't often talk about what we want or what we desire, do we? Kids do all the time. Kids always like, mom, I want this, I want that. We don't often talk about our desires, but our desires are what make us human. I mean, if you think about the really important desires, those are the things that we want really, really bad and, and we can't live without and that we want, we want them so much, but we want them for ourselves and we want them for other people. I think there's kind of a holy trinity of desires. I think there's three. I think the first one is that we want to be known and we want to know other people. Don't you want to be known by someone? Don't you want to be recognized? We want to be known, and we want to know God, and we want to know others. So we want to be known, and we want to know. And I don't mean like information no, I mean relationship known. Um, we want to be loved, and we want to love other people. That's the second in the Holy Trinity of Desires. Here's the third one, though, and I think this is... This is, these are what I call thick desires. Here's the other kind of thick desire. Um, we want to tell other people that they're really, really important. That they matter. And we want to matter. We want to know that we matter. Don't we? You know what I mean by mattering, but we, that we matter. So we want to know and be known. We want to love and be loved. And we want to matter. Well, Mike and I are going to talk about that during Advent, about knowing and being known, loving and being loved, letting others know that they're important, and ourselves mattering. But we're going to ask ourselves the question this first week, um, where are desires located? Now, this may sound like, well, duh, Mart, everyone knows where your desires are. Our desires are in our own hearts. Everyone has a desire in their own hearts, and that's where you know where your desires are. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think so. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, who wasn't able to speak, you remember the story that he was in the temple serving the Lord. Angel appeared to him and told him, you and your wife, and they had been old. They're, they're like older than me and my wife. And they wanted kids, and they didn't have any kids. And the angel said, you're going to get pregnant and have a baby. He couldn't believe it. He was so happy. And he said, and you can't name the baby. I'll name the baby. The baby's going to name John. And Zechariah couldn't really promise to keep quiet. So the angel said, mm, you're not going to be able to talk for a while. And so he wasn't able to talk until the baby was born. And then when he, the baby was born, his mouth opened up. And it says in Luke chapter 1, before this, the Holy Spirit gave him utterance. And he's saying all kinds of stuff. Your name is John, and you're going to be the, go before the Lord, and you're going to do all these things. And he said something really beautiful and very strange about John 
and about the gift of God. And I want you to hear how Luke, and it tells us earlier, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, and he begins blurbing out these things. He says this in verse 78, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. And I'm just going to park there for a second. The Holy Spirit said to Zechariah, God's innermost mercy is yours. And then the dawn from on high will visit us. So here's what's really weird and wonderful and cool and even more weird about this. He said, God is going to give you his innermost mercy. When you think of mercy, you think of an emotion, right? It's an emotion. Oh, God is going to give us an emotion. And then Zechariah says this, God will give you his innermost mercy. The dawn from on high will visit us. The dawn from on high is God's innermost mercy. What is God's innermost mercy? It's not an emotion. It's a person. It's a person. The innermost mercy of what God is giving us, the thing that he desires the most. You know, I was just talking with the kids about this. Sometimes when we desire something, and I told the kids, it's my fault. For, for, for Thanksgiving, I, um, I smoked a turkey. It was okay. I've done better. It was like, I give it like a 6.8 out of 10. It, but then I said, I really want a pecan pie. Uh, my wife knocked it out of the park. It was like 9.6 out of 10. It was just stupid good. I desired it. I desired it so much that I didn't share very much of it at all. I literally ate about 80% of it. I desired something, and instead of giving what I desire away, I thought this was a limited resource, and my wife could have made another one. We had more pecans. She could have made tons of them. But I desired it so much that I, I kept it to myself. But had I been more mature, I would have said, oh, everybody have a piece, and if we run out, let's make another one, which we could have. That would have been more mature. God gives us his mature love. His most inmost mercy is his son. Think about that. What Zechariah says is that what God desires the most, he gives away. Oh, and here's what's also interesting. Where are God the Father's desires located? That's a weird question, but it's a good question. Where are God's desires located? Where's the Father's desires located? I mean, physically. If we, right now, if we're like to pin the, pin the tail of the donkey on God's desires, where would you put the donkey's tail? Would you put it in God the Father's heart? Would you put it in his head? Where are God the Father's desires located? His inmost desires. His inmost desires are not even located inside of him. His inmost desires are located where? In the dawn from on high. What? God's deepest desires are external. They're in his son. And what is the son? Where does the son, where are his desires? Jesus says, I desire to do all things pleasing to the father. All the son's desires are located outside of himself. Well, that's weird. It is weird, but that's just, that's just the reality of God. And then God made us in God's image. What does that mean? Well, 
it means that our desires are located in the same place God's desires are located. That means that your deepest desires are kind of external to you. And we fight that all the time. We fight that all the time. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus saw a bunch of people and they were broken and he loved them so much and he desired to give them what was most important. And they said, uh, some of the religious people said, why, why are you spending time with, with people that, um, I don't know, say naughty words and they, they smell funny and they say weird things and they're not nice and they eat a lot of pecan pie like Pastor Martin, they don't share it. Why do you spend time with them? And he said, well, they're not well. And I desire them. I love them. That's weird. And Jesus said, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus says, I desire to give them what I desire the most, which is the love of my Father. And my desires are located in the Father, and I want to give them my dad. Isn't that beautiful? So what does that mean for us? on the first week of Advent. Well, this may sound strange, but I want you to realize that most of your big desires are dislocated from you. They're not inside of you. Now, some of your desires are inside of you, like some of you desire pizza more than tacos, some of you desire vegetables more than fruit, some of you desire um, wearing blue clothes or green clothes rather than black clothes or gray clothes. Oh, those, are, those, are, those, are kind of, those are desires, but I think your deepest desires are not even inside yourself. Your deepest desires are actually housed in other people. And when you open yourself up and love other people, what surprises you is that you're vulnerable. You need them. Um, when I talk to people that are thinking about getting, in married, getting engaged or married, I look for something. Because people will come to especially younger folks, because Mary and I have been married a long time. So sometimes folks say, hey, I think I want to get married, Pastor Mark. Can I talk to you? Oh, sure. Okay, what's it feel like to be in love? And I look for something. I don't look like, oh, I feel so strong and confident. I feel like I can write a musical. I feel like we can just dance the world away. Oh, send me to Broadway right now. Because that's, that's what they tell us. I say, what do you feel? They say, well, I'm kind of scared. Well, why are you scared? Because uh, I never felt this way before. Well, what do you feel like? I feel like I wouldn't do very well without that person. I've been waiting to hear that. And I say, what? I say, I've been waiting to hear that. Why? Because your deepest desire is not located inside of you. It's inside of them. And you're just coming to terms with that. Oh, that's a good thing? Oh, that's a real good thing. I'm scared. You should be scared. It makes you vulnerable, doesn't it? That your greatest love is housed in someone else? Did you know that's just the way we're made? That's just the way we're made. So, for Christmas, I think what Jesus is telling us in Zechariah, God gives us his greatest desires that are not housed in him, his own son. And then Jesus gives us his greatest desires, which is his father. And we're made just like him. But we, we fight that all the time. Uh, we think our greatest desires are located inside of us. That's kind of the romantic myth that we believe. We think that all of our greatest desires are inside our heart and only inside some secret deposit box that only we have the combination to and only we can lock it and unlock it and no one has the right to it. That's just not the way we're made. Our deepest desires are actually located inside of God. In fact, um, Marianne's 
pastor growing up, Dr. Tom Brand at First Baptist Sherman, used to quote this text all the time. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Where are your desires located? In the Lord. We have to get used to that, that our greatest desires are dislocated and that we have to trust that. You know, you know who trusts that? Um, people in recovery trust that. When people are, go to recovery, what happens is that they may have a desire to be loved, to be known, um, to matter, but the problem is those big desires, they get busted by the immediate desires of having fun or going to a party. And so they do these things and think, I want to go to a party, have fun, and then they use drugs or over abuse alcohol and, or do all kinds of stuff, and they realize their desire to love and be loved, to be known and be known, to matter and to let others know matter, they get destroyed. And they realize the little things that I desire are destroying the big things that I desire. So I will not trust these little things that I desire, but I'll put my trust in other people that will help me know what I really should do. And so I can achieve these better desires. Does that make sense? That's what the 12 steps do. You think, oh, well, that's good for people that, that, that are addicts. I'm saying, that's good for every human being because that's just how desires work. All of us have little desires that we, we pursue that ruin our big desires. Oh, I, I really want to really um, lower my blood pressure. That's a good desire. Uh, but I like potato chips more. I really want to be more patient, but I'm going to stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning and not get any sleep. I really want to pursue that friendship, ah, but I'll watch that show. So we have these big desires, but our little desires get in the way of them. And so we have to begin trusting other people, namely God and people that we love with our desires. And sometimes when we desire good things, we, um, we get selfish because we think there's a limit on it. And I, I want to close with this because I want to give you guys a picture. Um, my mom lived with her mom and dad till she got married. My mom went to high school and college. She lived at home during college. She went to L.A. Community College, which is now L.A. City College. She lived at home the whole time till she met my dad. My dad had been around the world um, in the... Um, he was a merchant marine during the Korean War and been around the world and finished school, came back home. Um, and she lived at home with grandma and grandpa. And from the time mom was four, she sat next to grandpa every Sunday afternoon for dinner. They had dinner at two o'clock, ate the same thing, grandma's pot roast, without fail, every Sunday after church. The same thing, every Sunday after church. The same thing. They loved it, apparently. And my mom was sitting next to Grandpa, um, my Grandpa Dave, who was a plumber, big guy, real tender-hearted guy. Um, and she would interlock her arm inside of his arm and eat. She did that from the age of 4 to 26. She sat next to Grandpa and interlocked her arm next to Grandpa Dave. Now, Grandpa Dave... And grandma have six kids. They love all their children the same. But my aunt, who I love, is a year older than my mom. She gave my mom a hard time. She picked on her mercilessly from the time she was little. 
to the time where it really destroyed their relationship as adults. Why do you think my aunt gave my mom a hard time? Oh, you guys know. You think she was jealous of her? Yep. What was she jealous of? She was jealous of the love of who? Grandpa. I think what my aunt forgot is that my grandpa was six foot four and he's got two arms. She somehow thought that there was a limited supply of the love of grandpa. And so she had to compete with my mom for it, so she pushed her way and clawed her way to kick her out. And it affected them because she believed the lie that somehow the love of my grandpa was a limited resource to his kids. Grandpa, he loved my mom, but he loved all his kids. He loved all his grandkids. You know, he had, he had 30 grandchildren? 30. He didn't know my name, but he knew where I came from. He knew I, was the, I came from Joe and Bernie, because sometimes he'd go, hey, grandson. I'd say, it's Mark. Grandpa goes, oh, yeah, I know that. He didn't know that, because we didn't live in L.A. where he lived. We lived in Louisiana. Or he didn't know my name, but it didn't matter, because I knew he loved me. Like, you're mine, whatever your name is. I got 30 of them. I got 30, he had 30 grandkids. He didn't remember all his names. But I was his. His love was for everybody. Now, here's what happens. We're afraid to admit that our desires are located in the heart of our Father. Because we think it's a limited supply, just like my aunt did to my mom. It's not a limited supply. The prophet Isaiah says that God's right arm came down to save him, and that right arm is Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? And all of, there's plenty of room for us to interlock his arms and sit next to him. So here's what I'm saying on, as you begin Advent. Trust that your desires are located in God and that he's not going to disappoint you. We tend to think that if we give our desires to God, he's going to give us a script that we don't like. That same Dr. Brandon I talked about who said Psalm 37.4 had a son that wanted to be a pastor. And he he actually, when he was 18, he, um, he came forward in church service one Sunday and said to his dad, I want to be a pastor like you. And he was miserable. I'll never forget that. I was, a, I was pretty new to Protestant evangelicalism, and I loved it, and I, I found Jesus through it. And this guy came forward and said, I think I want to be a pastor like my dad. But this is how, how Donnie described it. He was weeping. I mean, like heaving. <laughs> like ugly heaving, <laughs> like a mourning, like his puppy had just died. And he just said, I want y'all to know I surrendered to the ministry. <laughs> he surrendered like, like, all my dreams are gone. I'm going to be a pastor. I have to give all my, my desires to God. He's going to mess them all up. I remember thinking, what? That's so strange. Like God's a killjoy. Because he believed the lie that somehow his desires were here and God was going to mess them up. But where was his desires all along? In God, and is God going to, if God's got desires are, are inside of God, he's not going to mess us up with our desires. We've got to trust that as we say our desires are in God, he's going to give us the very best he has. And he has. He's given us his son, Jesus. So when God says, Jesus, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, it's like, I desire that you show compassion to others because my mercy is without fail. They're new every morning. You don't have to sacrifice a sibling to get mercy. You don't have to sacrifice that person, that person, to get mercy. Don't compete. There's an endless, does that make sense? That's why Jesus said, I desire 
mercy, not sacrifice. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So as we begin this Advent, I want you all to know that your desires are located in the heart of God. But his desires are located inside of you because he gave you a son, Jesus. Win, win. Entrust your desires to God. And he'll give you the desires of his heart. In fact, he already has. He's given you his son. So trust him for that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your innermost mercy, which is your son, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for giving us your innermost desire, which is your father. Would you teach us the joy of knowing that our greatest desires are not locked inside of us, but are deeply embedded in you and in other people. And help us give love and respect to you and to others so that we can search and receive these beautiful desires. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.